Well, this morning we're in the book of Psalms, Psalm 13. I really love those words. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing grace, mercy, that God would save any of us is a complete miracle. As we turn to the Psalms, uh, this week and next week, we're, uh, we'll be in the Psalms. Actually, during the campout weekend also, uh, Bob Rogers will be talking about a Psalm. But God has given us these Psalms as really um, a really practical help for us. Because in the Psalms, we see the goodness of God, and we see life. We see real life. We see the highs and the rejoicing and the praise, and we see the lows. And we see the anguish that the human heart can be in sometimes. We're talking about Psalm 13, which happens to be one of those lows. But it's a low that has hope, which is important. Next week, I'm going to be talking about Psalm 63, which is kind of on the other side of the spectrum. It's, it's joyous. It's adoration toward God. But I think it's important for us to, to have both of those things in mind because that is life. That is the human experience. There are times of great joy, and there are times of great trouble. And one of the things that sometimes we fall into as believers is some of us fall into that, that trap of thinking that coming to Christ means that your life is just going to be peaches and cream from that point on. It's going to be a bed of roses. You know, God is just going to solve all your problems, and you're never going to have to suffer. You're never going to have to uh, go through any kind of tribulation or turmoil. And unfortunately, there are many false preachers out there, and that's their message. Their message is, come to God, and your life will be great. You'll have your best life now. But I'm here to tell you that's not true. And we see that over and over and over and over again in the scriptures. Yes, life here on earth can be good. It can be full of joy. It can be great in many, many different ways. But this isn't the best. The best is when we actually get to be with the Lord. And then all things will be renewed, restored, and they'll be awesome. But here and now, we're in this strange tension of being able to taste the joys and see the amazing uh, things that God does and yet still go through some really tough things. And it's actually the hope that we carry through those tough times that I think is a better witness than just saying, 
oh, God's going to make your life great. Because when people see a believer going through really hard times and yet trusting and yet holding on to hope and yet praising God in the midst of it, I think that is a far better testimony than, hey, I got the house that I wanted. I don't know about you, but that is a far better uh, representation of the hope that we have in Christ than, hey, you'll get everything you wanted. So, as we come to Psalm 13, just be prepared. (laughs) We're going low here for a minute. Let me read it. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this psalm. I thank you for the example of the psalmist in being willing to cry out to you in the depths that he's in. And Lord, I thank you that I believe you give us an example here of, of how we ought to go through hard times in our lives. So Lord, I pray that as we consider this, that we would learn, that we would be convicted, that we would have a a pattern for how to go through hard times in life. Lord, will you speak through me, enlighten me, use, use your spirit to guide my words. We ask in your name, amen. There's all kinds of trials and tribulations that we go through. And this shouldn't be a surprise. As I said before, the Bible over and over and over tells us that we're going to face hard times. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. John 16.13, Jesus speaking, in the world, you will have tribulation. Philippians 1, 29 through 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul is warning the Philippians, I've been through a lot. And guess what? That's what you're signing up for when you put your faith in Christ. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be tribulations. So how do we deal with this? 
I mean, is it true that, that coming to Christ is the best thing on earth? Yeah, it is, right? I mean, we just sang about it. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. It doesn't get better than that. To be forgiven of all of your sin because of the blood of Jesus on the cross, to be washed white as snow, amen, hallelujah, best thing ever. Amen? Thanks. <laughs> and yet, life hits you. The sickness that you weren't expecting, the cancer that you've been battling for a long, long time, that's back. You thought it was gone. Relationships, family members that turn their back, coworkers that stab you in the back, friends that, that say careless words that cut deep, the frustration of looking for a job and not finding it, housing. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's all kinds of, of hard things that we face in this life. And praise God, he, He's given us help to know how to handle these situations. The main point, I think, of, of this psalm is life in this broken world is hard. Cry out to God and trust Him. Say it again. Life in this broken word, world <laughs> is hard. Cry out to God and trust Him. This is a short psalm. It's only six verses, but it breaks up pretty nicely, and the three points for my message are uh, pretty basic. Verse 1 and 2, we see the desperation of David, the psalmist. Verses 3 and 4, we see his cry for help. And then verse 5 and 6, we see his resolve in the situation, his resolve to trust and not to despair. So first, let's look at his desperation. So the, the psalm starts, and four times David cries out, how long? Have you ever been there? How long is this going to last? I remember, I mean, this is a silly example, but uh, when we got in trouble during football practice, uh, the school that I went to was situated on a really long, steep hill, and we would go run hills. <laughs> and I remember thinking, how long is this going to last? And just feeling that physical pain and suffering, like, oh, when is this going to be over? And yet I realized that that's trivial in comparison to some of the things that you may be going through right now. How long is it going to be until I hear from this person? How long is it going to be until I get some answers about my health? You know, there, there's all of these situations where, where we just cry out, how long? How long is this going to last? And in particular, 
we know that this psalm was, was written by David, and if you go back and you read David's life in the Bible, like, there's a lot of instances where this could be an applicable psalm. There are a lot of times where, where he was really going through the worst that this life has to offer. He also went through some of the best that this life has to offer, but we'll save that for next time. We don't know the particular circumstances that David was in, and I think that's actually to our benefit. Because if he did give us the particulars of what was going on, we might be tempted to say, well, that's the only time that we can apply this psalm. But it's just kind of a general outcry to God going, man, how long is this going to last? And notice the, the particulars of this cry of, of desperation in verses 1 and 2. He starts out and he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And I think it's significant that when David says Lord, he uses the personal name of God, Yahweh. I think that's significant because when God comes to Abraham and makes his covenant with Abraham, he makes it using that personal name, Yahweh, I am. And whenever God is renewing his covenant to the people of Israel, that's the name that he uses. I am. I am the steadfast, faithful, and true God. And yet, what is David saying? He says, will you forget me forever? So, what David is doing is saying, yeah, God, you're the, the faithful one, the, the true one, the, the covenant-keeping God, and yet, I feel like you've forgotten me. I'm calling you who you really are, but man, I feel like you're not here. And, and is it going to be like this forever? You know, this is, this is a cry of desperation. It's a, I, I need you, God, and I don't see you. I don't feel you. I'm not experiencing your presence right now, and it seems like you're gone. Are you going to forget me? In Exodus 3.15, God uses that, that name, Yahweh, uh, it says this, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And then in Exodus 2.24, it says, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God, I am, Yahweh is a God who remembers his covenants. That verse in Exodus is right before he delivers them out of Egypt. And David is looking to God and remembering, this is who you say you are, and yet, I feel like you're not here. And that is a real experience for us. It can be a real experience for us as believers. 
The New Testament calls David a, a man after God's own heart, and he was experiencing this point in his life where he felt like God was just not there. You know, and, and the temptation is, I have to admit, I tend to be kind of a glass half full kind of guy. And I have to say that I haven't been in this place a lot in my life. And my temptation is to see others who are in this place and go, oh, come on, buck up. It'll be okay. <laughs> or, or to even in my head doubt, like, are they really that down? Are they really that discouraged? You know, if, if they really followed after God, I mean, God wouldn't let them go to that place, would he? Well, the answer is yeah. <laughs> he would allow that. He does allow that. And being in this spot like David was is not an indication of your standing with God. You can be a really good Christian and be really low. And it's good for us to realize that because then we can comfort and help. Pretty familiar with Job, hopefully. Job's friends do a real good job right up front. And then, don't follow their example. <laughs> but when Job is at his lowest, they just come and they're there. And they just support him. And, you know, I think in times where good Christian people are in this situation, we can help them by just being there and by talking and, and you know, maybe going through what's going on, but, but just going, yeah, man, that's, you know, that's hard. Showing empathy, showing sympathy. It's an important thing for us because this is real life and real life in this fallen world can be real hard. The next verse there says, how long will you hide your face from me? Number six, 24 through 26 is a priestly blessing that uh, the priest would give to the people of Israel and it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Both of those verses, 25 and 26 in Numbers, talk about God's face. Talk about God's face shining upon the people. His countenance being turned towards them. And here, what is David saying? He's saying, how long will you hide your face from me? In other words, he's saying, this blessing that the priests are giving, I don't see it right now. It seems actually like your face is turned away from me, like it's not shining on me, like your countenance is not turned towards me. 
The next thing that he says is, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? This is a, an interesting phrase here, take counsel in my soul. In other words, it, it seems like for David in this situation, he's all he's got. Like where are his friends? Where are his counselors? Where are his helpers? They're not there. All he has, or all it seems like he has, is himself. And I think in my own life, <laughs> history has proven that I'm not my best counselor, especially when I'm down in the dumps. <laughs> but this is like he's saying, I feel like all I have is myself. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? Like there's no, no one to run things by. There's, there, I, can't, I can't get any outside help. I'm stuck. I'm alone. If we go back to uh, the very beginning of things, Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, after they sin, it's interesting that they, they kind of take counsel in themselves because there's no one else around. They know they've sinned. They're in a bad spot, and they take counsel in themselves, and what's their uh, brilliant idea? <laughs> well, let's hide from God. We see from the very beginning that taking counsel in ourselves, it's not good. <laughs> it doesn't lead to wisdom. It doesn't lead to doing things the right way. But here, here David is. And that seems like that's all he's got. And the last phrase of, of the first part there, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Again, if you're familiar with the life of David, this could be a lot of different things. David was anointed to be king, and yet there, were, there was a period of about 15 years where he wasn't actually installed as king yet. And not only that, but he had the king, Saul, chasing after him, trying to kill him. And it was this constant running, constant constantly having his, his enemy exalted over him. You think also of his son Absalom. In 2 Samuel 15, 13, it talks about how Absalom rebelled against David, started a coup, kicked David out of Jerusalem. His own son, his enemy, exalted over him. And that may seem hard to um, hard to process and hard to think of, well, how would that apply to me? But, you know, it could be something as little as like getting passed over for the promotion at work. And it goes to somebody that you're like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding? Or for you kids out there, your brother or sister gets a better gift than you do. Huh? That doesn't seem right. Don't see your brothers and sisters as enemies, but <laughs> it's that same feeling, and yet it seems multiplied here. 
And these first two verses, man, if that's all we had, this is a pretty hopeless, helpless psalm. But praise God, it's not all that we have. But we do see a, a real expression of pain and a hard situation in this life. And can anybody, anybody see themselves in this psalm? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> you know, maybe you're not like real emotional, real expressive, but all of us at, at one time or another are here questioning, how long? How long is this going to last? How long, oh Lord? And I say it's okay to do that. And it is. But I also think that there is a pattern here because David doesn't stop with this cry of desperation. He, he continues. So, the second point is he, he cries out for help. He doesn't just stay in this questioning mode. He asks the honest, real questions, and he expresses what, it, what he's going through and what he's feeling like, but he doesn't just... Uh, wallow there. Now, again, I want to be clear, we don't have a timeline on this psalm. Those first two verses could be like five minutes in the life of David. They could be a month in the life of David. They could be a year in the life of David. We don't really know. But I do think that the important thing is that if we find ourselves in that situation, at some point, <laughs> we have to move on to this next uh, point and cry out for help, which is what David does. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. He's not just going, well, life stinks and you're a terrible God. No, he's saying like, life stinks right now, but please consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. And note, he says, my God. He's not turning his back on God. He's not saying, life is so hard that I hate you. He's saying, life is hard, I need you more, my God. Please consider me. Consider the circumstances that I am in and, and help. Answer me. Send me something. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. You know, he's calling on God to, to just give him a glimmer of hope. Help me to see a little bit of light in this situation. The hardest thing to do when you're in desperate 
need when you're in a desperate situation is to express faith and to really ask God for help. Because it's really tempting to just continue down that road of despair, of depression, discouragement. But David, thankfully, gives us this this example of, of stopping and crying out. Consider me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. In other words, he, he has kind of these worst-case scenarios running through his head. My enemies are going to prevail. My foes are going to rejoice because I am shaken. And he's saying, please, don't let that happen. You're my Lord. I trust you. Don't let that happen. Help me. And then from there, we move on to the third part of this, uh, this psalm, verses five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And here, I'm calling this section resolve. And it's not necessarily resolution, but it is resolve in David's heart. We don't know if the circumstances of the first stanza have seen resolution. Most likely, they haven't. Most likely, there's still stuff going on that David is dealing with, and yet we see a resolve in his heart and in his mind. And I really, if you're in youth group, you've heard me say this before, but my favorite word in the Bible is but. (laughs) There's a lot of great buts in the Bible, (laughs) and this is one of them. Because it, it signals this, this change, this shift, where there was despair and where there was hopelessness, but. And, and we see that David is, is moving out of the pit. He may still be in the pit, but he's resolved to, to look out of it at least and, and to trust in God. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. That word there, steadfast love, is hesed. I'm probably not saying that correctly, but it is the word that is used over and over again for the steadfast, faithful love that God shows his people. And David is saying, I trust in this. Even if right now I may not be feeling it, I trust this to be true. And and so I will resolve 
to continue to trust. I'm not giving up on you, Lord, because I know you are not giving up on me. You are faithful. You are true. You are merciful. You are gracious. And I know that. And, and it's like David is, is kind of at this point where he's saying, man, the circumstances of my life would, would push me to say that God doesn't care, that God isn't loving, that he has forgotten me. But no, 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 it's not true. God, I trust, and I have trusted. It's past tense. I have trusted in your steadfast love. There is a, a resolve there to, to believe what David knows to be really true about God. And not only is there that resolve to, to believe that God is faithful and true and does have steadfast love, but then he goes on to say, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And again, what is he talking about here with salvation? Is, is he talking about getting out of the circumstances that he's in? Well, maybe. Maybe he's talking about being saved from the situation that he's in. Or maybe he's just rejoicing in the fact that he knows that his salvation is secure in God because God is faithful and God is true. And so even if he's not saved from the circumstances that he's in, he will be saved through those circumstances. God will bring him through those to his ultimate salvation. And in that, he rejoices. And this is something that, that I think is so powerful and so important for us when we come to hard things in life is to, to realize the salvation that God has given us. We tend to want salvation from all the troubles and trials of life, but God uses those trials and troubles of life to shape us, to form us, to conform us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, which is why Romans 8.28 is not just a trite saying, but it is literally the hope that we hold on to, that He can use all circumstances for the good of those who are called according to His name. It's not just something that, you know, we hang up on the wall in the church office. I don't know if it's up there. It should be. <laughs> you know, but, but it's, this is life. To, to believe and to hope and to rejoice in the fact that, that God can use even this in my life to conform me to the image of His Son. 
And this is where the gospel gets really sweet, too. Because without this hope of salvation, what do we have? We have nothing. We really are hopeless. We really are helpless. And why not just let the cares and worries of this life overtake us? If there's no hope of of anything on the other side, then, then it truly is a horrible, desperate situation. But the truth of the gospel is that God has saved us ultimately through the death of His Son on the cross. We were all sinners. We were all deserving of death. We're all deserving of punishment, and yet Christ took all of that on Himself. And if we would believe in Him, if we would put our faith and our trust and our hope in Christ, we can be saved. We can be forgiven. We can be brought into the family of God as a son or a daughter. And not only are we brought into the family and saved, but we're given the Spirit who helps us, who helps us in these situations. And so for those of us who are saved, for those of us who have put our trust in Christ, yeah, we're going to have these hard situations, and, and we need to cry out to God. We need to just be honest with where we are, but then we have to say, God, hear me, and I trust in who you are, and even in the midst of this, I'm going to rejoice in the salvation that you've given me. And if there's anyone here who is, who is yet to put their faith in Christ, like, I don't want to sound like <laughs> the person that I talked about at the beginning who says, come to Christ and all your troubles will be, you know, just ooh, la, 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 off and away and you'll have a happy, prosperous life. Like, that's not the promise, but the promise is salvation through Christ brings hope. Hope for this life and hope for the next. And so if you haven't put your faith in Him, you have no hope. And this life really is a huge bummer. But unfortunately, that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is at the end of this life, the penalty for your sin, the condemnation that you deserve is on your shoulders. And you'll spend all of eternity paying for it. But through Christ, He took our sin. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might be called the righteousness of God. And that is the great hope of the gospel, and this is the salvation that David looks forward to, salvation through Christ. So if you are unsaved, if you've yet to put your faith in Christ, today's the day. Talk to me. Well, the last verse. 
I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. What a contrast. (laughs) This verse compared to the first stanza is like, what? (laughs) How did he get there? (laughs) And again, it's not because of necessarily relief from the circumstances, but it is David in his heart and his mind has gone through this process of, man, here's where I'm at, Lord. I'm in dire circumstances. Will you please help me? He cries out to God, and then he resolves in his heart and in his mind to trust. And and the result is singing. Again, this may seem kind of, um, well, I don't know, (laughs) small in comparison to some of the things that I know a lot of you have been through, but there's this song that ever since high school, um, whenever I feel the stress of life, whenever I'm faced with hard things, and whenever I'm you know, with it enough and by God's grace go through kind of this whole process. Um, There's a song, it's a, a, I don't know, a little chorus. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. You know that one? I'm not gonna sing it, look it up. (laughs) But for some reason that little chorus for me has been like a rock. Because when, <laughs> when stuff gets hard and I realize my place in Christ and I assure, am assured of the help and the hope that I have in God, I can't help but just start singing like, God, you are beautiful. Your face is all I see. And it's not that the circumstances are over. <laughs> you know, but it's just something that, that kind of wells up inside me where it's like, yeah, you are good. And Lord, help me get through this. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I think that's what David is saying here is, I'm going to sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. You know, even as I'm sitting here and, and, and my last thought was, God, your face is turned away from me. <laughs> You're far from me. All I have is myself. How long are my enemies going to be exalted over me? And yet I cry out to you, and now there's this, this resolution and this just knowledge and trust that you are good, and you have saved me. You're God. And whether it's verbal or, or not, it just, you know, a song comes. And it's a sweet song. I don't know, the, I don't know that my voice is necessarily sweet, but <laughs> it's good. 
And, and it's just this realization that God has dealt bountifully with me. You know, and again, look at David. Look at his life. Horrible, hard circumstances. And yet, the resolve to know and to express that God has dealt bountifully with him. So, to kind of bring this all together, um, you know, I think we have a, a psalm here that just is real. It's life. Life is not always a bed of roses. There are some really hard struggles that we face. How do we do it? Well, this psalm, I think, is, is a good example. We come to God and we, we express the desperate, dire circumstances that we're in. And we're just real. And, and that may be in the form of questions like, are you going to forget me? Because it sure feels like it right now. But then it moves on to, to a cry for help. Hear me. Answer me. Please. I, I need it. I need you. Please. Don't let these worst-case scenario things happen. And then it comes down to a resolve that I don't think is, you know, it's not our own strength working in us. It's the Spirit working in us that brings us to this resolve to say, I trust. I have trusted. I am trusting. I'm going to trust in the steadfast love of the Lord. And my heart is going to rejoice in his salvation. And I might even break out into singing <laughs> in the midst of this. Or maybe it's just in my heart because I realize how bountifully God has dealt with me. You know, and we, when we give thanks and when we give praise, it, it, it adjusts our heart in the situation. Did God automatically save David from whatever he was going through? Don't know. Maybe he did. But the point I don't think is whether or not David got out of his circumstances but whether he got through those circumstances and how he got through those circumstances. And it was by expressing his desperate need to God, crying out to him for help, and resolving to trust him. Life in this broken world is hard. It's real hard. Cry out to God and trust Him. And memorize Psalm 13. <laughs> It'll help you. It really will. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word.
Thank you for the salvation that you have purchased for us through the death of your son, Jesus, on the cross. Thank you that our hope can rest in that, that we can be assured of that. And Lord, thank you that because of that, we can face whatever desperate situation we find ourselves in. Lord, we long for the day when you redeem all of creation and when we're with you, but we're not there yet. So we're thankful for your presence here, now, in our lives. Lord, help us to be good counselors to each other also. Lord, help us to not only walk through these steps with ourselves, but help us to walk through these things graciously and gently with our brothers and sisters. Help us to know when to speak, what to speak. And Lord, sometimes we, we confess that there's a, a perverse satisfaction in just wallowing in the mud. I pray that you would allow us the, the grace to to truly express the desperation that we may be in, but help us not to, to sinfully stay there. And Lord, we recognize that that may take time and a lot of patience, a lot of encouragement. But Lord, we pray that you will use this psalm in our lives to help us know how to trust you and how to get through hard times in this life. We pray this in your name, amen.